Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And I think the healing really began when I realized that this is a thing that happens and it wasn't just me being, you know, a dumb teenager, you know? Like, I didn't realize that the decisions I made didn't make me a bad person. This is Podvocative. Hello, and welcome to episode eight. So this one is a little bit of a heavier topic this time, and we get into some really deep stuff, hard to hear things. Yeah, so to start, we do want to say that there is content warning here. Um, Our guest today dives into stories of her own sexual assault and her experiences being manipulated by an older man. So please be advised. But, you know, I think this is something that's really important, and it's a topic that we need to hear more of in our community because we have to normalize talking about these things. Yeah. So Sahar recently posted her story on Twitter and you'll hear in the episode that she didn't come to terms with it and she repressed it for eight years. And then she recently came to terms with it and went public. And that's how Farheen and I found her story and reached out to her. She was willing to come on this podcast and share her story for the benefit of others. Yeah, exactly. And You know, obviously, this isn't easy to hear. And knowing that this sort of thing happens to women all the time and to young girls is something that is really difficult to face. And I think that's why we need to have this conversation more so that young women do feel comfortable sharing their story. And people who are victims understand that this isn't their fault. And this is something that just isn't talked about enough in our own Ismaili community. But just because it's not doesn't mean that we aren't facing it. Doesn't mean that it's not an issue. And lastly, I just want to say we're so thankful that Sahar did want to talk about this stuff because there's so much that I learned from this episode. So often we can think that assault only exists in forms that we see in the mainstream media and in the Me Too movement, but there's so many different forms that it exists in. And Sahar goes deeper into a story where she trusted someone. She trusted someone who was older and who was close to her. So it's just important to keep in mind that it literally can be anyone and it doesn't look one way. There's different forms of it. Yeah, exactly. And we also are going to talk about today signs of being abused because young women and girls often don't know when an older man is using them, abusing them, grooming them. But other than that, I think we're ready to dive in. So just to start out, do you want to tell us who you are, what you do, 
And then what's an app that you hate, but you use anyway? My name is Sahar Walji, born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. I went to UT, Hookham. I currently live in Atlanta and I work for Twitter as a client performance analyst. The app I hate is WhatsApp because literally I get forwarded all this useless information, fake news. <laughs> Obviously, we're having you on today um, to talk through kind of a difficult topic. So... Would you mind telling our listeners why you're here? Walk us through, you know, your story, your background a little bit. This is actually a really tough story to tell just because it's such a taboo topic and it's not easy to be here. But at the same time, like I want other people to be able to hear the story, share their stories as well. And that's when healing begins. The gist of the story is that when I was about 16, bright red hair, so many hopes and dreams, I was a part of what anyone would call grooming, which I'll go into later. I had a best friend who I no longer speak to, needless to say. She had an older brother, 11 years older. So I'd known him since I was younger, since he was my best friend at the time's older brother. And you know, when you're younger, you see those older brothers, you're like, they're so cool. They're adults. They have it all figured out. I want to be like them, you know, and that, that's the mindset I had. Wow. Like, I can't believe he's speaking to me, you know, then things just started getting weird. He started showing more of an interest in me. And obviously, I didn't understand because I couldn't fathom that someone that old would be, <laughs> you know, taking that much interest in me. The night of one of my friend's birthdays, he had actually offered for us to... <laughs> come into his room and try alcohol. My friend said no. I was very disappointed because, you know, I was 16. That was like the coolest thing to me. But he texted me anyways later that night. My friend didn't know. And I went. He makes me a very, very strong drink. I didn't really drink then. So, you know, I was a little woozy. He started making comments about how, you know, quote unquote gorgeous I was or unquote unquote how I was so mature for my age. And without warning, he got intimate. I started freaking out a little bit, but I didn't want to leave because I thought that maybe if I left, I would seem like lame and like I couldn't hang. After that, he started pursuing me. He kept telling me he wanted me to be his girlfriend, but I had to be discreet so it wouldn't ruin, quote unquote, what we had. And I know it sounds stupid now because, you know, when you look back at it, you're like, Sahar, come on, like, look at the situation, look at how old he was, like, what do you think was happening there, you know? But when you're in that situation, you're so young. I think this goes without saying, but I want to say it for our listeners, nothing about your story was dumb or the way that you acted was dumb because when you're 16 and in high school, literally, like, the only thing you ever want is validation. Beyond just the validation, I think when you're that young, we're also taught to look up to and trust people that are older. When did you realize that what was happening to you was not okay and that you were in a bad situation? That's the thing about statutory rape and grooming as a whole. The way society portrays rape, it feels like you can never be too sure of what exactly counts as sexual assault and what doesn't. So I feel like since I was 16, I'm 24 now. So these past many years, I kind of just played it off as a joke. You know, when people share their stories of their first time or blah, 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 or whatever, you know, I would joke about it. I was like, haha, yeah, that's my story. It's so funny. Over time, I started realizing, no, it's not funny. You're traumatized. 
how long did your relationship with this person last? And, you know, what was the nature of it? Was it a dating relationship? So you called him your boyfriend? Was it something that you felt like was nurturing to you? Like, was it what you expected at the time? Yeah, he was like, Oh, you're my girlfriend. Like, I can't wait to take you out when I'm 18. And you know, it's embarrassing talking about it now. But you know, at the time, it wasn't nurturing he was in control it was a lot easier for him to hold the power and kind of get me to like bend at his will you know he might have liked having someone who admired him and looked up to him so yes on you know what I would say is the way we spoke about it it was a relationship but it really wasn't it was manipulation taking advantage of my emotions and my naivete it was slightly intimate but at that point it was just because I felt an emotional attachment to him because of what I'd been through and you know it's a big deal for a girl you know going through that so the fact that I had that experience I was kind of just blinded by the things he said to me and the things he asked of me and it was not it was definitely not a 50 50 relationship as it wouldn't be because it's not a relationship it wasn't a relationship it was grooming (laughs) can you just explain the concept of grooming yeah it's usually when like an adult gains access to you tries to build your trust over time maybe they start flirting with you even though they know it's illegal but they'll try to reassure you that everything will be okay and they've never felt like that or done that with anybody before they'll try to convince you that you guys are on the same page in reality you (laughs) aren't they go out of their way to make sure the relationship is on the down low they can try and guilt trip you into staying silent by saying it could ruin their lives you know while at the same time reassuring you that they love you and age doesn't matter to them so it shouldn't to you but i mean like i said before no matter what you do being a minor dating an adult you're always going to be taken advantage of because they're always going to have the power How long does it take for the groomer or the predator to gain trust? And in your specific scenario, how long was that process and what did it look like? Honestly, I can't really say how long it takes for someone to be groomed because it's so many different circumstances. It depends on the person. It depends on how good at manipulation the abuser is. But for me, I would say, you know, when I was 16, I was just going through so much. I was very insecure with myself. I didn't really feel like I fit in, especially with the Ismaili community. I just kind of felt like an outsider. Having someone who said they cared for me and was giving me all this attention all this time, it made me feel like someone cared about me and that's why it was easier for me to become manipulated than it would for someone else but that being said you know um, a lot of these groomers can tell when someone has that level of insecurity if these guys are really good at reading these young adolescent girls and figuring out whether or not they can be groomed it can take between literally a week to like a few months. It really just varies on the life experiences someone has come from and their level of self-esteem, you know, what place in life they're at. You mentioned that you didn't feel you know, very connected to the smiley community at that age. Can you highlight what your relationship was like with the smiley community growing up? When I was younger, um, I wore jeans that were too short for me, probably. (laughs) Unibrow. I got bullied a lot. It was at the point where I just hated going to Connex. I was just like, okay, like no one wants to be around me. And it was just really hard for me and it wasn't even just the getting bullied thing it was you know like boys other friends drama typical stuff you see it's it's very 
common that's a sad thing to say like being a smiley you have a great community but at the same time young people are pretty mean <laughs> they can be really mean i'm not saying i wasn't mean i'm sure i was mean at times but you know it's so rough because the smiley community is so small so it's kind of like if you ruin your reputation in one place word's gonna spread like wildfire do you think your predator did this to other women and other women in the smiley community too I think so. Um, my sister was probably like the one person I confided in about everything. And we talked about it and it really seems like it's very, very possible. He was a very charming person. He knew how to talk. He knew the right things to say. Overall, I don't harbor any hatred towards him or anything. What happened to me was a learning experience and I grew from it. So I don't want to like speak ill of him or anything. But based on the mannerisms and just the effortless manipulation, I would say I think he has done it before. And if not before, then maybe after. Why did you decide now to come out with this story on Twitter? The reason I came out and told my story was that I was on Twitter and that whole thing about the comedian Chris D'Elia, he was preying on minors and that came out. And a lot of people started sharing their stories and it kind of snapped me back to reality because I was like, whoa, wait a minute, like this happened to you a tenfold to truly move on from what happened. I needed to share my story as well. And I really hope that there were people who read my story and felt safe enough to share their stories as well. But you said... You didn't realize the effect that it had on your self-esteem until much later on. So I'd, I'd love for you to touch on that. My self-esteem now is definitely much, much higher than it was. But it definitely did contribute to the decisions I made in the past. It seeped into my dating life, whether I knew it or not. There was always that feeling of not wanting to be vulnerable, not wanting to share things you know um i had a serious boyfriend for about three and a half years never told him the story you know because it's not something you want to talk about but you know with my dating life in general i have had a very tough time keep putting my guard down you mentioned that you didn't realize the trauma took a toll on you until much later so when was that and how did you kind of like reckon through that the way I came to terms with it is originally I had gone to a therapist, you know, and it all came out and it was crazy, but I was still kind of numb to it. And I think the healing really began when I realized that this is a thing that happens and it wasn't just me being, you know, a dumb teenager, you know, like I didn't realize that the decisions I made didn't make me a bad person because I thought I was a horrible person. I thought that I had just like ruined everything for myself, ruined things for my family, you know, and it's just so nice to know that you have a support system out there and there are people out there who will tell you straight up like, hey, this is not your fault. You know, I had a cousin who was a social worker and actually you know I was telling her I was like "Ooh, did I tell you about my boyfriend and she was like I don't think this is okay she talked to my parents and she talked to me and I couldn't believe that I was like no there's no way like how can you even use that word like statutory rape like that sounded so foreign to me and now I look back and I'm like holy crap she was right it was you know, and if she hadn't pointed that out to me or my parents, I don't think today I would have really internalized what it was. How do you tell the difference between someone who is charming and maybe flirty and inappropriate to some points versus someone who is manipulative, who has those intentions? Manipulation is when somebody is saying words and it's not matching their actions. Like they're telling you they care about you, they like you. Okay, well, then why aren't you calling me back? Why did I hear that you were? hanging out with this person you know it's a really tough line to draw it's honestly at your discretion but i would say that 
thing for me is that when I'm trying to figure out whether a guy's intentions are pure or not, I will look at it through an objective point of view and just pretend like somebody's saying something like that to my friend. Because a lot of times guys will be like, you're so beautiful. I just want to hang out with you. I want to do this, blah, blah, blah. And I'll look at it, especially if it was sent to a friend. I'm like, duh, he just wants to hook up. Like, don't go there. I mean, I love that you said that because I think a lot of people who may be in this situation or who may not understand, you know, what the signs are, I think there there are certain things that feel inexcusable. And I think people need to kind of hear that that they should listen to their gut more in those situations. So I kind of want to move into what happened when you decided to come out with this. You know, what what was the next step? I cannot thank my parents enough. They were so supportive. They have always been so supportive. If you hear those kinds of things about your daughter, you're, you know, a lot of people would like disown their kids. But my parents, they sat me down and told me, hey, we love you, but this wasn't okay. So the one thing that kept me standing through everything was just the fact that my family was so great about it. They were there for me. They empathized. They didn't approve, obviously, who would, but they understood that it wasn't my fault. And to this day, I credit them for that because I think in the Smiley community, it's really hard for parents to grasp these kinds of situations. When it came out, I confided in one person who ended up telling another, who told another, who told another, spread like wildfire. And when it came out, his family, you know, instantly cut ties with me, no questions asked. But I think for me, it was beyond the loss of just a reputation. It was kind of the loss of a second family. And there was also a lack of admission. We never really had a sit down conversation. So they never really knew nor really cared to hear my side of the story. I don't think they even wanted to hear it, even if I'd offered it. What were some things that helped your healing process and hurt your healing process? Like the next few years after that happened? The helping process, I would say, was probably therapy. And the most important thing, I I feel like I can't even express this enough. You can talk to someone about these kinds of things and they'll empathize with you and they'll feel for you and they'll believe you. But it's just not the same as speaking to people who have gone through the same thing. So what really helped me was I met a close friend of mine who had been through a similar thing. And just hearing someone else's story just felt like a weight lifted off my chest because the entire time I had thought, oh, I am like the dumbest person in the world. I can't believe I did this. And it really helped my healing to know that other people out there, they were there to empathize with me and they really felt what I was saying. And I felt believed and I felt related to. And I mean, the things that hurt my healing were just the limbo. I was I was in such a limbo over whether or not it was consent. It was rough. When I went to Kane, I saw like the stares of so many people looking at me and something that just needs to change. Our community is just so small that people tend to know everyone's problems and they tend to pass judgments without knowing the full story and really aside from my cousin who was the social worker who identified what I'd gone through made me a victim and not the person responsible for this there weren't many people close to me that offered support what have the last eight years been like for you in terms of you know addressing this to yourself or maybe telling your friends or people in your life I've kind of repressed this memory for like eight years and 
I think that posting that Twitter thread was the first time I've ever even acknowledged what really happened. It was just something I kept in my brain. I kept hidden. I just didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to have to deal with it. I didn't want to even believe it was a thing that I had done once in my life. How can we better have conversations with young men, young boys um, around this topic? How can we make them more aware? I think all we can ask at this point from these young men is to educate themselves and to believe the victim because as a smileys, we are one community and we may go through a lot of stuff and there may be a lot of people talking about each other and things that come across the wrong way and fights, but we're one community when it comes down to it and a little support does go a long way. There's actually a quote. I was reading that article, brown boy misogyny. There is no link between rape and sexual desire. Don't tell us to dress better, become better men. When these stories started to gain traction, brown boys claimed that these girls were ruining the man's reputation. Did you not stop to think that he ruined her in every way imaginable? And what reputation are you talking about? Instead of standing with the victim, you're out here defending your boy and asking her what she was doing who cares what she was doing we know what he did and that was the quote that really hit me and if a girl comes out with a story about sexual assault believe her don't call her a liar don't make excuses don't trivialize it don't say things like oh well i'm sure he didn't mean it or how could he have known or it was a misunderstanding because like do you know how much it takes out of a girl in the smiley and brown community in general to speak out about these things it's humiliating for us. It's humiliating for our families. It tears us apart. And it really does emotionally scar us in ways you couldn't know. Yeah, I, I love that you brought that up. And we can link that article for everyone listening. But do you think that brown men, maybe not as smiley men in particular, but brown men have been desensitized to things like violence and sexual violence? Living in America does help, but not, a, not enough. Like, there are smiley girls suffering all over the world. We hear of all these heinous acts, acid attacks in countries you know places it's much less safe for women but it doesn't discount our experiences here in the u.s so in our community it's just so different because it's not violent cancel culture is just so real you know that phrase she belongs to the street in in our community it's like girls are taught to watch what they wear and what they do and who they hang out with you know if you wear somewhat revealing clothes you're a slut if you hang out with guys you're thirsty you party you're wild you drink you're never gonna find a husband and a girl's work shouldn't be based on her sexual history or the decisions she makes for herself it's what mia khalifa has been going through for years now every single brown girl listening who wears glasses has been compared to mia khalifa and has had sexual jokes made about them and i know because it's happened to me a lot despite always joking and criticizing her they'll go home and watch her videos regardless but it doesn't matter because they rationalize it by saying they're not interested in dating her or dating anyone like her. So these same men, some of my guy friends included, will crack jokes about girls being sluts or belonging to the streets or whatever. And point blank, they'll admit that they'll mess around with girls who, in their words, get around. But when it comes to who they want to seriously date, they're looking for a girl with a low body count or so they say. It's great to retain some of the traits you get from your parents, like religion and learning to be a good person. But a lot of us need to take a step back and think about the things we always swore we'd never 
emulate but subconsciously do and I think in our society that's a lot more prominent than violence and I think that's something much more subtle that people aren't realizing about themselves but it's true it's looking at a girl and wanting her to be good and pure and not like the girls they hook up with but they're fine with these types of girls when it comes to someone they want to date and go around with and I think that's just really unfair and it's something that's inherently been passed down for generations now and it just needs to stop but I mean it's not gonna stop until people start changing their mindsets and the first way to change your mindset is to educate yourself and open your mind and just be welcoming to other people's lifestyles and their viewpoints but can you talk about why that rhetoric is so harmful it's harmful because you aren't letting a girl live the life live her life the way she wants to live you know like girls shouldn't have to sit around waiting for a smiley guy to think she's a good wife and then get engaged to her and get married to her like we're women we have careers we sometimes date around we've become intimate so why should that stop us from having a decent reputation and finding someone we care about you know we don't, we don't want other people's parents judging us or other people judging us based off of the things other guys have said. How has this experience impacted your dating life and kind of intimacy with men and trust men? The main thing for me has been just keeping my guard up. Very hard for me to really, really trust someone I was dating and just being scared that if I shared this type of story, what would they think? I did see the brown boy misogyny firsthand. My ex didn't like a lot of things about me. He didn't like the way I dressed. He didn't like that, you know, I drank. It was just a lot of different things. And it just played into the entire thing I thought in the first place where people want to respect their parents' wishes, but they've also inherently taken those traits where they think a girl needs to be more pure than them. After that relationship ended, I just felt like, well, no, it's Smiley's guy is going to like me for me if you know, I've been through this much and all of these traits turned someone off. But I've always tended to go towards not a smiley man just because I feel like with them, it's a clean slate. Has this experience made you stray away from dating smileys in the future? It's unfair to generalize all the smiley men. And no, I have not dated a smiley since my last relationship. I'm not close off to the idea. My mom has been very understanding. So her thing has been, okay, well, you can marry whatever religion you want as long as your kids are a smiley, which I understand, you know, any smiley parent would want that. So I think that's a big reason I would look for a smiley significant other. But overall, I don't really think it matters in the long run because guys who are manipulative and terrible are gonna be manipulative and terrible. When I eventually end up with someone, I want them to know about my past, but accept me regardless. And so when you were going through this at the time or even after, maybe years later, were there any safe spaces if not within the smiley community, like outside of the smiley community or groups that you felt safe with? My immediate family. So my parents, my sister were a fantastic support system. I have had the same group of best friends since high school. They were also a really, really great support system for me. And then later on in life, meeting people who had been through the same kinds of experiences as me, that really helped me, helped me grow as a person. It made me realize my self-worth. 
I'm I'm happy you found strength from your family, from your close friends. I know you mentioned that it was helpful for you to talk to some of the women who had been through some of the same things. Can you tell us and the listeners where you found some of those women? Where can, if you're going through this, if you need that support, where can you look for people who are willing and open to talk about these experiences? Some of the people on Twitter are just so open and so opinionated. I actually slid into some girl's DMs to talk to her about it. I was like, hey, you tweeted this and it really hit me because this happened to me. And she was just so supportive. She was like, tell me the whole story. And she was so great about it. And that just made me feel so confident and happy because she didn't know me as a person. She'd never met me before. She didn't know my history, but she heard about my story. She believed me. She supported me. She shared her story and I think that just helped so much and for all the people out there who have been through the same thing I am here I really do care I promise and I empathize and I believe you so if there are any listeners out there who may be unsure if they are going through what I went through or if they had gone through it and they're feeling pretty upset and down about it you can come to me and if you need me to I can point you in the direction of the right resources I love that I love that message I love that the podcast is becoming a forum for people who come forward I think your message is really going to help a lot of people in the community so we can empathize with these stories and be better allies for when they do happen because so many women go through this so kind of to wrap it up is there anything that we didn't ask you that we should have is there anything that you want people to know or or take away from this this is your time I just want to, once again, go over what exactly consent is. (laughs) If you did not want to do it, if you felt pressured to do it, if you left that encounter feeling sick or upset, that is sexual assault. And a lot of times girls keep it bottled up because they're afraid how it's going to come across in the community and they don't want their reputations to be ruined, which I completely understand. But if an older man or women woman is preying on you when you are below the age of consent, that is assault. <laughs> I just want everyone to hear the clap. Grooming someone significantly younger than you who is still impressionable and naive, that is assault. It doesn't matter whether or not the minor said yes. Sexual assault isn't just screaming no on a bed. It is you felt uncomfortable, you were coerced, You didn't want to do it. You felt pressured. That is sexual assault. Many times it is someone close to us and it's someone we trusted. And I think that's why we're so hesitant to call it what it is. You are a victim and you should not blame yourself. Like, don't keep yourself up at night wondering, I should have said no. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. They played with your emotions. They made you think that you could trust them. And it is not your fault. It is not your fault. Please talk to someone. We hear like what quote unquote consent is, but I really feel like that message can trivialize the full picture of consent. Yeah, it wasn't you screaming no. It was, you know, the little red flags. And we can internalize that guilt and say, well, I did it. That means I consented. And no, you didn't. You were not fault. Thank you for bringing that up. Everything you said was incredible. A really, really good message and an important message to end on. So this wraps up this first interview segment. And before we move on, I just want to ask how you feel. I know this was a tough topic and you handled it so well. I feel good. I feel good. My dog's proud of me. I think he's been sitting outside my room. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sweet. Okay, so rapid fire. We have 12 questions. You have 90 seconds to answer all 12. I'm sweating. Go. If you had to go back 400 years in time, how would you convince them that you're from the future? Show them my Twitter. Can I show them my Twitter? Will I have the Twitter when I go 400 years back in time? Yeah, I mean, like, you would have, like, your your belongings. Oh, oh my Buckets. god, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what is the weirdest thing you do in the morning? Not really the weirdest thing I do. The weirdest thing my dog does. Sneezes in my face and puts his paw in my face every morning. What's something you should do but you probably won't get around to? Flossing. What is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Ooh, Popeye's chicken spicy tenders meal with Cajun fries and a biscuit. What would you do on Mars for fun? Um, do they have wine there? <laughs> what is something you notice immediately in others? Huh, whether they're funny or not. If you're famous, what would you be famous for? I always wanted to be a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> What's a flaw? that's out of your control my nose <laughs> um what age did you learn the most about yourself 16 <laughs> <laughs> uh what tv sitcom family member would you be a part of bob's burgers i would definitely be one of the siblings <laughs> 10, awesome. out of 12. You, 10 out of 12 amazing and you gave us like such creative answers that i haven't heard before that's why i was yeah. going do you um, want to do the last yeah. two you get bonus time if you want it yay we'll do it <laughs> um what compliment do you like receiving the most you have nice teeth what fashion trend do you not understand biker shorts what the hell are those and welcome back we hope you guys Maybe not enjoyed listening to that because it was hard to listen to, admittedly, but um, we hope you guys took something away from that. It was really tough for Sahar to share. She was extremely brave for agreeing to not only come on this podcast, but for being as open and as honest as she was. This was Sahar's story. This was her healing. This was her coming to terms with everything she faced, but this was just one story. This is not representative of all stories that are similar to this, and these experiences won't look identical. Sahar came on this platform to share her story, to empower anyone that may be facing the same things, or just to educate people of what assault could possibly look like. And there's a lot of other forms of sexual assault that we didn't cover here. Absolutely. And, you know, throughout the episode, it was clear that at some moment, Sahar was embarrassed of her past actions. Or, you know, a couple of times she said that she was dumb looking back on it. And we want to be super clear here and... We want everyone to keep in mind that, you know, that's kind of what manipulation does to people. And remember that when you're in those moments, you don't necessarily realize that you're being manipulated or that you're being abused. So Sahar, looking back on it now, may feel like she was naive. But again, that's that's the point. Um, that's what manipulators do in these situations. So if you're going through this or if you've been through it or if you know someone that has, there's nothing dumb about it. There's nothing to be embarrassed of. There's no reason for you to feel guilty or naive or stupid. Um, you know, it's really hard to hear Sahar and other victims talk about themselves that way. And we, we want to be very clear that it's kind of what abusers want you to feel. And anyone else who may be in a similar situation, we're going to link all the resources that we got from Sahar. Sahar has opened up to be a shoulder to lean on. Fahin and I are always resources and people that will listen to you or point you in the right direction so please please if you need any help please feel free to reach out to us and 
last thing, everything we discussed here today with Sahar was agreed upon by her. We only wanted to share as much as she was comfortable with sharing. And we wanted to be very cognizant of her limits of what she was comfortable sharing. And she knew everything that was going to be asked of her beforehand. So the questions we asked here today of Sahar aren't necessarily the questions that you should ask of anyone else who shares their story with you, who comes out as a victim to you. They might not be open to sharing the level of detail that Sahar was open and willing to share here. And we as a community, we as their support system need to be respectful of their boundaries and need to be mindful of their boundaries. We are so thankful and grateful of her for coming on this platform, for laying it all out for us for the benefit of others. But this is not something we can or should ask from anyone else unless they are entirely and 100% comfortable with sharing that. So with that, we are signing off. Thank you so much to Sahar for sharing. We can't thank you enough for your bravery. And thank you to you for listening to this difficult episode and for hopefully continuing the conversation and being good allies to victims.